Welcome back to Speaking of Wounds, a podcast by the Wound Care Learning Network. We have special guests with us today, Dr. David Brienza and Dr. Amit Geffen. Dr. Brienza is an electrical engineer that has been investigating, developing, and evaluating technology for mobility, specifically wheelchairs, and tissue integrity management, specifically seat cushions and mattresses, for the last 28 years. He is a professor in the Department of Rehabilitation Science and Technology and the Associate Dean for Research in the School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences with additional faculty appointments in the Department of Bioengineering and the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine. Dr. Brianza has an extensive record of federal funding and publication in the area of rehabilitation technology. Dr. Geffen received a Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering and a Master's of Science as well as a PhD in biomedical engineering from Tel Aviv University in 1994, 1997, and 2001, respectively. During 2002 to 2003, he was a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Pennsylvania here in the States. He is currently a full professor with the Department of Biomedical Engineering at the Faculty of Engineering of Tel Aviv University and the Herbert J. Berman Chair in Vascular Bioengineering. The research interests of Professor Geffen are in studying normal and pathological effects of biomechanical factors on the structure and function of cells, tissues, and organs, with an emphasis on applications in chronic wound research. Thank you both for joining us today, Drs. Geffen and Brienza. You both bring a really unique and valuable perspective to the conversation today, as well as to our field. Let's jump in. So there's been a lot of discussion on prophylactic dressing, specifically in pressure injury or pressure ulcer prevention, and both of you have studied this in depth. Also, the World Union of Wound Healing Societies published a consensus document in 2016, which outlined prophylactic dressing use in pressure ulcer pressure injury prevention. Can you tell us more about the recent press release announcing the development of a task force to create standards for prophylactic dressing use, and what motivated this for each of you personally? Maybe I'll start by providing the context. The context is that pressure ulcers, or as they're called in, this, in the US and Canada, pressure injuries, are becoming a bigger and bigger problem um, every day now, especially in the context of the COVID pandemic. Uh, pressure ulcers injuries have always been um, a significant medical problem, um, costing billions um, to the US taxpayers um, and around the world. Um, they um, typically appear in those individuals who suffered impaired mobility conditions. Um, and that can happen basically to everyone. Uh, so we tend to think that uh, this is a problem of people at the terminal phase of their lives, but it's not. Um, think of um, people undergoing a surgery. Um, they can be perfectly fine in terms of their uh, mobility function. However, when they're anesthetized on the operating table, um, they can't move, they can't sense, and therefore, at that period, they are susceptible to injuries uh, that are forming because of the body's um, lack of ability to relieve the tissue loads. And these tissue loads, um, in a process that we now understand better, uh, are um, killing the cells, um, first of all, by um, the effect of deformation itself, the distortion of the tissues. And then there are secondary factors um, that, um, for example, include um, inflammation and the edema that builds um, in the tissues and um, ischemia, of course. And um, 
gradually, but not so slowly, actually within tens of minutes, a person can suffer a significant injury. Um, in the context of surgery, for example, that would be totally um, unrelated to the reason for the surgery itself. Um, for example, if that has been um, an oncological procedure um, to remove um, a tumor, um, the tumor may be removed or the orthopedic problem may be fixed or whatever you can think about. However, um, there will be significant tissue damage due to these pressure injuries. Now, um, one very interesting discovery um, from about almost 20 years ago has been that if those regions in the body that um, are known to be vulnerable to pressure ulcers, pressure injuries, are covered by dressings that are normally used for treating wounds, um, there is um, a good chance that these dressings will be able to extend the time during which these tissues would not suffer the injuries. So buy these patients more time in a position simply because the dressing is providing some cushioning and some mechanical protection that causes it to share the load um, with the tissues. So the, the tissues are not there all by themselves, all alone. They're sharing the mechanical loads, the body weight forces with the dressing, and therefore there's more safe time for these tissues. So this is the context. However, um, over time and during the two um, decades since this discovery, which is um, a discovery made primarily by Todd Brindle um, in the US, um, there have been different manufacturers um, offering different products for this purpose. And we do not know um, exactly how the structure of the dressing interacts with the loading states in the tissues and what are therefore the optimal design features that such dressings um, need to have. And again, I've started with the fact that these are treatment dressings that are now applied to protecting the body at sites where the skin is intact. There's no injury there yet. And, and there should be, there shouldn't be. But um, these are treatment dressings that have been designed and developed for the purpose of treating wounds that are now being used basically as cushioning materials. Uh, for protecting um, non-injured tissues. Now, there needs to be some kind of understanding on what specific features or what additional features um, these dressings may need in order to, to function as tissue protectants and not just for treating wounds. Yeah, I, mean, I think you're, uh, you're right. I agree with everything you said. Um, you know, the fact are there are multiple products out there and they're constructed differently and they, because they're constructed differently, they, they most likely perform differently. And, and these, all these, these manufacturers, these various manufacturers are, are marketing now these dressings for prophylactic use and they're making claims on their effectiveness and who they're, they're best used by. And, and the fact is, we don't really have a good way to compare one product to another right now. 
we're, we're really at the mercy of the manufacturers um, on what, how they say they're going to perform. And the problem is worse because the different manufacturers evaluate their products in different ways. So in other words, they use different tests and they use different metrics to describe how they work and, and how well they perform. And so, you know, what we're, what we're proposing to do now is to standardize the way, first we talk about the products, like have a standard terminology and also standardize the way the products are evaluated so that you can compare one product to another in terms of, you know, what we feel are the important performance uh, metrics, you know, things like how they distribute pressure, how they um, control the microclimate with, um, with regard to heat and moisture and how they um, affect shear forces at the interface. So these, these are, you know, like the important um, factors that, you know, may lead to a pressure injury or pressure ulcer. And so what we're doing now is we're going to start this, this initiative to try to develop these test methods that could standardize the way we, we talk about and measure performance. And, and it's, it's been, oh, go ahead, Karen. No, I was just going to throw in there. I mean, that's, you know, hearing that, I think a good starting point for somebody clinically, can you guys specify, you know, I think we all know the polyurethane foams. What other dressings are you guys seeing or proposing? Um, you know, I know the, the WU, WHS came up with the ideal properties of a dressing use. What sorts of dressings are you guys referring to when you're talking about this initiative? So, First of all, there are these fundamental engineering concepts or requirements that a dressing must have in order to deliver a prophylactic effect. And um, as I mentioned, um, we now understand that this is in the international clinical practice guidelines for the prevention and treatment of pressure ulcers or pressure injuries, that everything starts from the sustained exposure of tissues to deformations Without that, it is highly unlikely that a pressure injury will develop. So the first thing that a dressing must do is to effectively share the loads with the tissues so that the tissue deformation exposures are reduced, um, alleviated, and um, different materials and different compositions of materials and different structures of dressings will do that, will deliver that, at different extents. Um, if we just think of, you know, we can think of two hypothetical dressings. One made of, um, one is a steel plate and then the other one is made of cotton. Um, and it's obvious that the uh, steel plate would not deform much and therefore the body would deform a lot. Um, and, 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 and the cotton may deform to some extent um, or, or maybe some kind of a soft fluff will um, deform to some extent, but if it deforms too much, um, then there's actually no protective effect because um, it's, um, it's almost like it's, it's, it's not there. Um, it's, it's squashed and it's not there. It's squashed between the body and the mattress and it's not there. And so eventually the, um, the body takes almost everything that it would have taken without um, addressing at all. So um, there needs to be, uh, obviously these were two examples that are totally unrelated to reality, but the truth is somewhere in between, right? So dressings 
such as foam has different stiffnesses depending on the manufacturing process, depending actually on more than that, depending on the initial selection of these materials when the dressing has been um, designed in the first place. Now, if you understand, and we, from, for Dave and I, and we are engineers, we're professors of engineering, and we've been trained to think of structures and how they function based on what they're made of. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not thinking, um, or I, I find it hard to believe that a clinician in their daily practice would think that. It's not, it's not a matter of they, you know, it's not a matter of underestimating anybody. It's a matter of how you're trained and what your role is. And um, for them, addressing is addressing. And they're not, even I, when I have to test the dressing and understand its performances, I would do what everybody's doing in my world, which is to take it apart, to basically disassemble it to its, in, to its very basic components, and then testing every component in my lab in terms of the stiffness and the strength, and then understanding the kind of how it would function together. But I, even I, as a professor of engineering with 20-something years of experience, I need to do all of that work to understand that. And a clinician has no way of doing, of knowing that. Even I would have no way of knowing that without undergoing through these experiments. And, and there's no intuition as well. So we, are aim, we, we, we aim to take these loads off the clinician's sh shoulders and um, formulate some kind of standards um, after um, following which industry will need to specify these performances and how much load sharing, for example, occurs between the dressing and the tissues. And I can, st I can start a similar story saying, and Dave has mentioned that, um, about temperature um, states. And that's, that's if, if the deformation is sustained, that's becoming very important as well. So again, different materials would have different uh, thermal properties. And that depends on the selection of the material and the composition of the materials and how you attach them together. And all of that together determines the function of the dressing. We call it structure function relations in the world of engineering. The structure determines the function. The function in this case would be the prophylactic function, but that divides into many aspects deformation exposures and thermal exposures be, would be too, too important um, such features, but there are more. So um, bottom line is we need to understand structure and translate that to prophylactic function. Yeah, and I think the other characteristic that I would add to what you said, Amit, is the, um, the function of the, the dressing to shield the body from frictional forces. Um, frictional, you know, when, you, when you're able to apply frictional force to, to the skin, you can very easily create high deformations that could quickly develop into uh, tissue injury. And so well, one thing that the dressing does is um, shield the body, essentially transfer those frictional forces away from the body to, to another uh, level of the interface. Yeah. And... Again, the, the issue that we're facing is that if these properties of the dressings that are commercially available right now have been characterized, they have not been characterized in the context of prophylaxis. Um, 
maybe with the exception of specific products, overall, if you look across the market, there has not been much of fundamental research to look at the structure function of prophylactic dressings. But more, I would say what's more important even is to look at look into the future. Because I expect that in the future you would have dressings designed for prophylactic use now that we know that they are effective clinically. So the, the natural thing to do for humanity and for global industry is to now, okay, we've found something much like many um, important discoveries that have been made by mistake. Um, this one is probably also a discovery that has made by semi-mistake, good intuition. Uh, but the mistake is in the sense that these are dressings for treatment that have been adopted for the, um, for the preventative usage. Now, thinking ahead, it's more than reasonable that if we now develop dressings that are targeting prophylaxis in their initial design. So the design phase would determine the specifications and goals of lowering the frictional forces, as they've said, lowering the exposure to sustained tissue deformations, lowering the exposure to thermal uh, loads to elevate the temperatures in the tissues, all of that as a design goal. But for industry to do that effectively, they would need some guidance. And that guidance comes in the form of um, testing standards where they can see, they can use them as rulers once they are there and, and they can see whether their design uh, prototypes or the initial um, constructs that they've um, assembled for these future dresses meet those performance criteria that, um, for which Dave and I are leading the um, development. Yeah, I think in some way, um, once you have standards, you can um, extend the impact of clinical studies. You may have a clinical study that shows a specific dressing is effective in uh, reducing pressure ulcer incidence. But that the results of that clinical study on the surface are only as good at only good for that particular um, dressing. But if you go ahead and characterize that dressing and define its properties, then it's you know it's pretty logical to assume that um, other dressings with similar properties will have a similar similar clinical outcome. So you can you can get more bang for your buck out of the research once you have this uh, these validated methods for characterization. Yeah. Wonderful. So one of the things that you guys have touched on heavily, which I appreciate as a clinician, is that you guys are starting kind of you know, at step one with the, the construct and really you know, looking at that from its root. Um, and obviously, translational medicine is a, a key concept. And it seems like you have a very good plan to involve a multidisciplinary stakeholder group. Um, so you mentioned that in the press release. Can you talk more about, you know, as engineers, you guys are coming up kind of with, you know, maybe Dr. Brienza, you've done the, the seating in the wheelchairs, how that looks moving forward as far as you guys start at square one. How do we get to the point where as a clinician, I'm going to have that, that information and knowledge? Right. Yeah, because there are a lot of stakeholders in this process. You know, I, I think, you know, at the root of them, these are industry standards and they're, they're, they're written for industry. But um, clinicians um, certainly have a stake in this and they stand to benefit because, you know, they can 
better match capabilities um, of products to the needs of patients. And um, like even third-party payers like insurance companies, they can benefit too because they can be you know, smarter about how they allocate resources in terms of who, um, who should be reimbursed for what um, level of performance of product. And so because there's all these different you know, stakeholders in, in the final product here, it, it's necessary that all these you know, representatives from these groups are involved in the, in the beginning because you know, if you go too far down the road before you start asking the right questions, um, you end up wasting a lot of effort. And we're gonna try to avoid that um, by including uh, representatives from every stakeholder group we can think of right from the beginning so that we can, we can account for their specific needs as this gets developed. Another point that I see in the future of this, um, and I don't know if it's the, the near future or the far future, but um, since dressings um, that will be um, marketed as, as having prophylactic features, as having protective features, would need to, at the end of the day, provide patient safety outcomes because pressure injuries are now recognized as a patient safety issue. Um, there will be some involvement from um, regulatory bodies. Um, regulatory bodies can then use those standards that we will be developing as a filter for what, um, for kind of a minimal requirement or set of requirements that dressings must meet in order to be called um, prophylactic dressings and in order to um, make such medical claims. If I would tell you, and um, sometimes I like to be provocative, so I'll do it right now, that um, a piece of toilet paper can now be marketed as um, a prophylactic product um, you would probably be surprised, but this is the situation right now. I can, I can take some toilet paper here and, and, and claim that this toilet paper is preventing pressure ulcers. And you would have no way to prove me wrong unless you invest in a randomized clinical trial to um, compare my piece of toilet paper with a certain other technology or, say, dressing, um, and then you discover that it prevents less or more, but that is um, um, a barrier to progress in the sense that there are products that perform, there are products that perform less well, but still perform, and there are products that do not perform or may not perform. And um, I'll, I'll get to what performing means in, in, in a minute, but the thing is that everybody is right now um, everybody can make whatever claim that they can think of, and there is no ruler, there is no what we call a standard to filter those that deliver from those who do not. And I, I've said, I've, I've used the word performance uh, several times now. The performance issue is tricky because addressing can be, for example, great when it's uh, coming off the package. As, as a new product, but uh, once it absorbs some moisture from the body, and that can be with um, patients having incontinence issues, but it can also be some simple sweat because we sweat, and especially sick people, they're sweating. 
And so when the moisture is absorbing the dressing, this is now a totally different material. Um, it's, um, it's moist and um, this moisture can affect the um, integrity or the um, function, the mechanical function of the dressing components um, or some of them. And, and then the mechanical uh, construction becomes different. And then the deliverables are also being affected. So a dressing must perform over time. And we need to remember that this is not a one-time thing. You need to expect the same level of protective um, efficacy when the dressing is fresh and after three or four days, because that's at the moment what industry is recommending. Actually, after five and in some cases even seven days, what the, what the industry is recommending in terms of changing those dressings prophylactically. If you have a wound uh, that is exuding, it's, it's quite clear when you need to change a dressing, when the dressing is being soaked um, with, with fluids. When you have um, a dressing on intact skin, it's, it's not that clear. So all of these factors need to be um, considered um, until we reach the point where um, industry have guidance, um, so their own guidance on, on, on how to develop products. But there's also the big brother that is in the US, for example, the FDA, or in other countries, um, similar uh, regulatory bodies that also um, <coughs> control this and, and monitor these performances. Yeah, great point. And that, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, requirements that these regulatory bodies would, would put on the, um, the products based on the, the metrics that the standards produce. And that, that is when these um, standards get teeth is when, when they get adopted by um, regulatory bodies and when they start to get used in general. But the standards themselves are likely not going to contain any sort of threshold or good, bad ratings or anything like that, that, you know, tests output a number and the number is usually on some continuous scale and, and, and the products will land on that scale somewhere. And that's, that's really the, where the, the standards end is, is just giving the performance on a scale, you know, whether or not that is good or bad or appropriate or not appropriate for someone that's, that's for someone else to determine uh, based on, based on needs, whatever the needs is are. Right. Um, I think, you know, in, in wound care in general as well, those standards are needed across the board. So I, I applaud both of you and everybody involved for starting out to develop that. I think that that's really important. Um, we have just probably two or three more minutes. Is there anything else that either of you would like to add before we close um, regarding the initiative? Dave? I, I think I'm really excited to get, get going with this. I mean, I think, you know, it's going to be kind of a hard road ahead of us. You know, we're aiming to get something substantial accomplished in about three years. And, and after that, um, at, at that time, we wanna move this to the international standard level where uh, like a, an organization like ISO would, would start to work on publishing these standards. Um, but it's gonna be tough. I mean, I think you know, the first tough step is just gonna be determining the scope of what we're doing. That, that, that's gonna be um, unbelievably interesting discussion, I think, once we get to our first meeting, which Hopefully, it's going to be uh, you know within a few months, uh, maybe you know by by March or something next year. Um, we're, we're really we're really anxious to get started. 
Likewise, um, I share Dave's excitement about this. Um, this is very timely and very much needed, especially in the context of COVID, where I'm hearing from all over the world reports about pressure on ulcers, pressure injuries, now increasing in prevalence and incidence in all settings. Um, for different reasons, one of them is the disease itself um, and its pathophysiology and others relate to um, shortage in healthcare professional time and all, all of the usual stories that we hear about COVID and its impact on global healthcare systems. But thresholds um, are taking lives and protections from thresholds should be our highest priority. Um, it's one of the few unsolved medical problems. No doubt that using prophylactic dressings would um, make a major contribution in reducing the burden of these um, injuries on, on individuals and society. And I'd like to join, I'd like to invite everybody who's interested to join us in this journey. And it's going to be, as Dave said, it's going to be a long journey and an interesting journey. It will take several years. Uh, but we have mentioned a variety of stakeholders, um, industry, clinicians, regulatory bodies, um, decision makers in, um, in institutes. There, there's a long list. I want to invite everybody who thinks um, that they belong with us um, around the table of um, discussions um, on, on, on this specific topic to um, come and give us a helping hand because um, we, uh, we're may maybe we're smart and, and experienced, but we definitely don't know it all. And we need the global wisdom of the different communities to incorporate all these different views into our initiative. So everybody is welcome to apply and join our activities. And, and I applaud um, MPIP and EPUAP for, uh, you know, kind of stepping up and organizing this and getting together on it. And uh, certainly we're not limiting that to those two parts of the world either. I mean, we, we welcome participation from anyone anywhere in the world. Well, that invitation is, is definitely appreciated, especially coming from a clinician. And I agree that collaboration is, is phenomenal. And um, I'm excited. Just hearing you guys talk excites me. And I, I'd love to be at that table at some point as well. Um, great discussion today. Thank you both so much for your input. Um, you know, we'd love to continue this conversation as we go. Um, thank you to all the listeners who tuned in today. Be sure to check out woundcarelearningnetwork.com for other um, wound care related podcasts, articles, and videos that are published on various topics in wound care. Um, also great to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, where you normally listen to your podcasts. Um, we also hope that you tune in to our next podcast. And thank you very much for listening today to Speaking of Wounds. Perhaps you'll hear from us again in the near future with an update on um, how this is going from Dr. Brianza and Dr. Geffen. Thank you both again so much for your time today. Thank you, Karen. Thank you.